Thanks for listening in to the Know and Do podcast. My name is Justin Barton. Before starting the conversation I recently had with Philip Waters called The Kool-Aid Color Doesn't Matter, I want to share a bit about the Know and Do podcast with you. One of the goals of the Know and Do podcast is to speak with people who have experienced life, both the ups and downs, and are willing to share some of that wisdom earned and learned with those of us who are walking that path behind them. My hope is that something from each of these conversations touches the hearts of each listener and motivates them to do just one small thing a little bit better. This change of heart has the potential to help each person become a bit better, and then when the individual becomes a bit better person, their family becomes a bit better, and when the family improves a little bit, the community benefits, and you get the picture on and on until the world becomes a bit of a better place. This is one reason I feel that it is important to strive to develop wisdom by talking to real people with real experiences, both positive and painful. This is what the Know and Do podcast is all about. This podcast is typically quite spiritual in nature, and I really enjoy these religious and even spiritual conversations. In addition to the Know and Do podcast, I am in the process of recording several episodes of a new podcast that will still be focused on life lessons and sharing learned and earned wisdom with generations to come, but it will be focused less on spirituality and religion and more on the person who may or may not be as religiously affiliated, but has some great stories and experiences to share. This new podcast will be called Journey Through Life, and some details can be found at www.jtlpod.com. JTL, as in Journey Through Life. I have several more know and do conversations lined up, as well as several Journey Through Life conversations, but I'm always looking for more people with life lessons and wisdom learned and earned that are willing to share with me and the listening audience of Know and Do and the future audience of Journey Through Life. These conversations hope to be a kind of legacy where the person involved can impart some of their more important thoughts and philosophies and lessons learned, along with some experience that many have not yet heard, to their children, grandchildren, and on down the line for generations to come. If you know of anyone that fits this description and who would be willing to have a recorded conversation with me, please email me at knowanddopodcast at gmail.com for the Know and Do podcast or at the JTL podcast at email.com for the Journey Through Life podcast and let me know. We can then start the process of getting it set up. Also, if you find the Know and Do podcast to be of value to you, please share it with your friends and family. Please subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please rate and review us on that same service. You may also follow Know and Do on Facebook. Just search Know and Do and like us and leave a note and let us know what you like and what you would love to hear in future episodes. Now, onto the conversation with Philip Waters. I first met Philip almost four years ago when my family moved to Spokane. He and his family quickly became one of my favorite families, and I learned quickly that Philip would give the very shirt off his back to me or anyone else in need if he could. 
I reached out to him to see if he wanted to have this conversation based on a health scare he had less than a year ago, and that story was good. But I learned so much more about him and about his life and overcoming tough life experiences through this conversation, more than I had ever figured that I would learn. It's really good stuff. And I am very grateful to him for having this conversation and sharing some wisdom with me. All right. So, Philip, tell me a little bit about where you come from, who, you know, your parents, grandparents, and those things that uh, have those people that have had some impact on you in your life, early life. You know, I'm, a, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida, an area there, small town called Baker County, Florida. And uh, my mom comes from a family of 14 kids where her father died at the age of 45, 46 because of a heart attack. For 14 um, kids, huh? 14 kids, yeah. Wow. Um, so her mother, she had seven kids underneath the age, I believe, of 11 that she raised by herself. And uh, my mom is Lumbee Indian, um, which is a tribe from the Carolinas. And my dad is Caucasian. He has one sister. And uh, that's who I was. Then I, I was raised by my parents who, who loved us and cared for us and taught us great principles of how to work. Uh, my mom grew up in the cotton fields and the tobacco fields, and Indians weren't treated good. And, uh, and then for her to marry a Caucasian, that was a big difference in my father's family's life. And, uh, and I think my mom was very influential in teaching me how to work and appreciating everything that I had or that I was able to, to gain um, because nothing came easy to her. Um, she was an entrepreneur who was very successful at many businesses, and she was always getting into the right businesses at the right time. Mm. And uh, my dad um, was a fireman. He's a retired fireman. And uh, my dad, he was at every sporting event, every church event. No matter the sacrifice he had to make, he was there. And whether it was, I've got to take off work for an hour so I can go watch my son run for 30 seconds, he was there. Um, and so my parents are very influential hmm. in my life. So tell me about your grandparents. I mean, maybe not your grandparents, but maybe the oldest relative that you remember that had an effect on you. Yeah, my, my grandmother on my mom's side. Um, her name was Beulah Locklear. What was that last name again? Beulah Locklear. Locklear, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she, she just could work. I mean, she raised 14 kids. She raised seven on her own, pretty much. And uh, we would spend the, the summers there in her home. Uh, we'd go up every summer, spend two or three months. And anybody that walked to the door... She would always say to one of her kids, go grab a, such and such a plate of food. She'd always have food ready for everyone in the morning. I could just, I still hear her voice saying, Philip, come get you something to eat hmm. in her own way. 
And uh, she was just, she just kept going and going and going and never stopped um, until the work was done. How did she financially raise seven kids on her own and the other seven that, you know, were probably pretty close yeah. to adults by that point? They didn't have anything. They were dirt poor. Um, so a, a, a bag of sugar meant the world, and she used that bag of sugar. Um, obviously, they never went out. And this was, you know, my mom's 80 now, and so this was had to have been in the 40s. Is that right? Yeah, in the 40s. So 50s. They didn't have anything there anyway, but... She had a small little home. She grew everything. Um, she made everything, every quilt. Um, everything in the home was either given to her or, um, or she made herself. And she made things last. She never threw anything away. And uh, she used every ounce of food that she had. And I think as the kids got older and, and married, they were able to help a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Or if they had their own um, cornfields or pea fields, they would help her mm. out. I can definitely remember um, visiting for summers, and my mom would go grocery shopping and bring stuff in and take care of it like that. Or, you know, they'd raise their own pigs and slaughter their own pigs, and that pig and that cow would last. Mm. What uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, your mother and your grandmother, I presume, are lumpy. Indian, correct? Mm -hmm. What does that heritage mean to you? How has that carried forward to you and your generation? You know, unfortunately, I haven't embraced my heritage enough or I haven't been, I don't want to say introduced because that'd be putting my mother down. Um, but Indian tribes became more American civilized. And uh, I definitely remember going to family reunions or, um, or events. Um, but it does mean something to me that I am not just Caucasian. Um, it means a lot to me that I, I do have um, a different blood type. And uh, when I do my genealogy and I see that name Locklear or Lowry, um, it definitely means something to me. Mm. Um, even though my last name's Waters. Um, um, and my kids do appreciate the, the heritage that they have, but um, kind of lost some of that as we've kind of Americanized yeah. my life. You, you mentioned that, uh, that you know, your, your mother, it was your mother that was working in the fields, in the mm -hmm. cotton and tobacco fields, yeah. and she really worked hard did she like to work or was it I'm just working because I have to work and and I'm doing this type of work did it did it motivate her did it drive her to yeah I, obviously they they didn't have a choice but to work um, that's just what they did they woke up early they went worked the fields gathered the food brought it in cooked it um, harvest it um, then cleaned afterwards that was just their life but I think what happened is that I know she wanted something better in life. And uh, for a little Indian girl who had nothing, um, she was able to 
go to college and 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 drive a bus and, and play sports and and then learn so much about how to achieve things when you have nothing and then eventually you know be a successful entrepreneur she wanted more than what she had mm. because she never had anything and so even when she started to to have things it's not like she was frivolous she was very um, concerned about the resources that she was using and make sure she used them correctly hmm. do you see that as kind of a pull yourself up by your bootstrap type story or, or how do you define that story of hers um, I just didn't think she wanted to live the life that she's always lived I think that time America offers so much and uh, I think if you her principles I can relate to myself of hard work and dedication and she had those two things which you could never you can't teach those and uh, just amazing how how hard my mom could work um she would put a lot of people to shame with her work ethic. So. Mm. Well, what, uh, and I know you as a very hard worker. I know you as somebody who gets out there and hustles and gets the job done. So that's something that has been instilled on you by your mother. Um, what are some other traits that you have um, observed from your parents, grandparents, that you have tried to incorporate in your life? Some successfully and some that you wish you were better at. Yeah. Um, I think my dad is just, he trusts everyone, and uh, sometimes that could, that could come back and haunt you, um, but I'm just a very trustworthy person. I think I inherit that from him. Um, if somebody says they need something, you just give it to them. Um, if you say someone's going to walk in your house and grab this and leave, you just trust it. Um, you know, I, I think being trustworthy is something I inherited from my father. Um, I think we talked about hard work and, and being dedicated to something. And uh, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. Um, and there's no two sides. If, if I say I'm going to um, provide a service for you or I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to be somewhere and I'm going to do that for you. So I, I think those are some things. Um, at a young age, we learned how to work. Um, my, my mom owned wig shops and beauty stores and and uh, video stores and we just learned how to work at a young age and to uh, appreciate um, everything that you have. So what were some chores that you had as a kid that you um, remember some of the first thing some of the first things you remember doing as work? Yeah well I did learn at a young age that if my mom saw me, she would put me to work. <laughs> so I learned to just go and in the woods and play and go to the pond and play <laughs> and stay away as much as I could. Um, but we did everything from washing dishes, drying dishes, um, shucking corn, um, cutting peas, um, learning how to work a, a cash register at the age of eight and count back money at the age of eight the proper mm. way. Um, learning about customer service and working in our video stores um, full time since we were, you know, nine or ten years old. Mm. Um, 
specific cleaning house, doing the yard, all those things. There's nothing that my parents would ask would do without us being there. Hmm. Um, I remember we bought some river property many years ago and uh, there was so much work to be done on that river property. But my mom and my dad saw the end goal and every evening and every weekend for, I don't know, it seemed like years. It probably wasn't a year, it probably wasn't anything but a year, but we were there cutting trees, hauling trees, putting in a trailer, cleaning the the river bank, burning, and it was just, I remember that was a project that all the family was there, and we just, we enjoyed, and um, I felt like we accomplished something as a family. How long ago was that with the river property? I bet I was, I bet it was around seven, eight years old. So you were just a young pup. Yeah, about 36 years ago, yeah. Yeah, so it probably did feel like years and years yeah. of time. Yeah. But uh, um, now you mentioned, you know, shucking corn and cutting peas. Was that off of your own farms or surrounding farmland? Or No, that was, that was just sitting in front of the... <laughs> <laughs> that was many Sundays sitting in front of the tea, TV, watching a sports game and sitting there for hours just doing that for mm. for ourselves and for other people. Wow. Uh, Were there any of those chores or any of those things that you really hated doing? I don't think so. As I look back, I don't think there's anything that I really hated at mm. all. Um, I know if I did show that I hated it, I'd probably get beat with a switch. Mm. Um, that was something that was very common mm-hmm. in our home. Um, my mom was a... And really uh, punishing, and I wouldn't even call it spankings. I would call it beatings. Mm. And uh, so I, we were quick to learn that if we didn't want to do something, we just did it. Mm. And... Uh, we try to do it with as much smile as we could. Mm. My dad wasn't much of a enforcer. Um, my mom did most of the enforcing in the home. Mm. How has your disciplinary actions yeah. with your own kids been affected by that experience, those experiences? Well, I think if I carried that same weight that my mom did, CPS would probably just have a house outside my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think times were different then. Um, I think now if you touch a child, uh, child protective service, um, I think my wife also had a lot to do with it. Um, she came from a home where it was handled differently, um, more of a yelling and, uh, and I learned with her help that a lot of times when you, you hit your kid or you spank them, it's because you're angry. And so you're actually doing out of anger versus correction. Mm. And, uh, I mean, there's still a lot of times right now when I think with my 17-year-old son, man, <laughs> I wish I could take you out to the shed. But <laughs> um, but it would be because of anger, not yeah. because of correct disciplining. Hmm. So we, we, we discipline differently, and uh, there's a lot of things we can take away from them or not allow them to do. And uh, then sometimes there's some stern opportunities to teach them a little differently do you recall a an instance in your own youth or childhood where 
a uh, disciplinary action, not necessarily traumatized you, but made you go, hmm, I am going to change the way I do this because of what I've learned from this. Yeah, I, I think I was much smarter than my brother Ryan, who's about a year and a half older than me. <laughs> However, if you give him a tool, he can fix anything. Mm -hmm. But if you give me a tool, I can't. Mm -hmm. And our brains just work differently. Um, he was smarter with his hands and fixing things. I mean, I couldn't do those, but I was smarter in the books, which if you had both, it would work very good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember he, if he brought home C's, it was great. It was really good. And this was, in middle, this was in elementary school, you know, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade. But if I brought home a C, um, it was like an F to mm. my mom. So I remember going and showing my mom. My, my mom found my report card. And she was doing hair at the time. And she stopped what she, she was doing. And she took me outside and got a switch. And we're not talking about, we're talking about a switch. A switch that wraps around your leg mm. or wraps around your arm. So mm -hmm. it just doesn't give you a bruise, but it gives you a welt. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember on the side of my house next to the palm trees across from her bedroom, she just beat me pretty bad. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I thought I didn't deserve that. And I don't know if it traumatized me, but I definitely distinctly remember that event out of all others. Because for one, I think I could have done better in the classroom, but I think she could have handled the situation better and it would have had the same effect or same outcome. Mm. What, what were some of your hobbies and things you liked to do as a youth? Yeah. Um, I have four brothers and a sister, and uh, we loved to play basketball. That was... Love playing basketball. Wherever we went, we had a basketball. Um, so that was probably my favorite hobby um, that I had by far growing up. I think because I worked hard at it. At, uh, I just wanted to excel and be on a team. And I think when I knew people were better, it made me work a lot harder. So love playing basketball. Um, gosh, I'll tell you, that's probably what I did with most of my... And I loved working. I, I, I really, working is kind of a hobby to me. Mm. Um, and then, you know, with my mom and with my parents owning businesses, we had a lot of opportunities to work together as a family. And, uh, you know, going in the video store in the morning and, and checking in movies that were in the Dropbox and, and making popcorn and, and getting the soda machine ready and the M&Ms and, and snow caps and the movie's ready for the rush, that was, that was exciting mm. um, because I got to work with my siblings, um, we got to make money, and then at the end of the day, we got to play ping pong or, or watch movies or play Nintendo, and that was, that was kind of some big things mm. for me. That's what I remember a lot most. Very cool. Who, who was your best friend when you were in high school? Um, you know, I switched schools um, when I was in eighth grade, the summer of my seventh grade year. We went from a city called McClenny, Baker County, to a town called Lake City, because that's where my dad worked in Jacksonville. And then from Jacksonville to McClenny was the 30-minute drive 
and that's where our home was. Mm -hmm. And then from McClinney to Lake City was another 30 minute drive, mm -hmm. and that was our first video store. Mm -hmm. And then from Lake City to Live Oak was our next video store. So my parents decided, or my mom, I wouldn't say my dad, but my, my mom decided, hey, it's time to move. So we moved to Lake City where she had her video store. She had closed down her barber beauty salon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I think in elementary school, I had a friend, his name was Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's probably my best friend at the time. And then we had some other people move, um, you know, Gary rings a bell. Mm -hmm. or Georgie or Jonathan. Um, Jeffrey passed away um, from a gunshot to himself, mm. um, like when he was in ninth grade Man. on his doorstep. And so, but at the time I had moved to Lake City and kind of really started more friendships. Um, and then the, my senior year, I moved back to McClenney. Um, my brother was a good friend, Ryan, um, because we were so close in age. Um, he really made a lot of corrections if I stepped out of line. Um, so we spent a lot of time together, um, but I had a lot of friends. I wasn't, I just didn't have one friend. I enjoyed being around multiple people. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot. Tell me a little bit about you, how you met your wife, Jen, and, and the situations that surrounded that and brought you together. Yeah. You know, I went on the mission, uh, mission uh, church mission for my church, which is the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, uh -huh. um, when I was 19. And where did you go? I went to Dallas, Texas. Wasn't happy about it because my brother was in Caracas, Venezuela at the time, <laughs> serving his mission. Uh -huh. So I'm thinking, okay, I get from Florida to Texas and he goes to Venezuela. I kind of got screwed on that, I thought. But mm -hmm. obviously I didn't because right. it was a remarkable opportunity. Um, and maybe I couldn't have learned the language. You know, there was reasons, right? But shortly after I served the mission for my church, me and a buddy, Clayton, moved from uh, our small town to Provo because the ratio of girls were like... Mm -hmm two to one. And so that was really the motivation of moving there, not to get married or anything like that. I wasn't going to school, so I moved there. My sister was living there, and uh, I happened to be rooming with my buddy from my hometown, a buddy from my mission, and then I didn't know, but it would eventually be my brother-in-law, Mike, hmm. who I was rooming with. And so... Um, Mike and my sister-in-law Julie were dating at the time and me and Jen was introduced to each other and you know I was having a good time um, while she was going to college at BYU I was just working and I decided about eight nine months later I'd go back home and really didn't think anything about our relationship other than hey we had a good fun relationship I'm going back home and I'll go and date some more but when I got home I was there for a few th few days. I actually realized I loved her. Mm. And at the time, she was going to BYU-Hawaii. So she went from BYU-Provo to BYU-Hawaii. And we didn't have cell phones. And long distance was very expensive. Mm -hmm. So your form of communication was through letters. And so I think there's something where they say love. 
when you're apart from each other, love grows or something like that. Right. There's some type of quote. Distance makes the heart grow fonder or something fonder. like that's that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And so we, uh, I just realized, I went on a date with this girl, and I'm like, I really like this other girl, which is my wife. Right. And so we, we decided that we were going to get married, and, you know, we started using her mom and dad's, uh, what were they, prepaid uh, phone cards? Old phone cards, yeah. <laughs> and uh, allowing us to use her long distance, and we just fell deeply in love, and here we are. Here you are. How many years later now? 22 this year. 22. What are some, what's some advice you have for me and for others on pushing through marital struggles that come up? You know, we had a conversation the other day about if you think your grass is, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, you need to start watering your own grass. And I think there's times in your marriage where you think, gosh, this is awful. You know, not for a period of time, but maybe a moment. Right. You know, maybe, maybe I could be happier doing something else. Not necessarily with someone else, because mm-hmm. I love my wife. Um, she is my best friend. We do make a good team, mm-hmm. kind of like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. We both do things that um, the other one can't do. Mm-hmm. And so, I just I think for us being married at a young age and having a a at least a good foundation of the gospel of our savior and only having a certain amount of income to build up from. I think that was a big thing because we never, none of us, we didn't have any money, neither one of us. Mm -hmm. And then we immediately got, she immediately, um, she wanted to have a baby. So we immediately, she immediately got pregnant within, I think after a year of being marriage. And then she never worked outside the home anymore. And I always did. Mm-hmm. And we relied on that income. And uh, I think that helped us a lot in our marriage. But the minute you start feeling those feelings of the grass is green on the other side, you need to look in the mirror and look how good you have it mm-hmm. and think about doing service for your family. That's, that's my advice. Mm-hmm. Do service. Be selfless. What's a, what's an... Uh, an experience that you had in being selfless and serving your family that has uh, had an effect on you or your wife and kids? I don't know. I don't really look at that a lot. I think it's just ingrained in me to work and provide. My responsibility is to be a provider for my family. And that's just what I know. Just be a good spiritual provider and a good uh, provider of goods that my family needs. That's just my role. It's that's just what I do. Um, no one has to tell me to do it. That's just that's just my daily life, and that's what it's been like. And I enjoy it. I enjoy my kids being able to have the things that they have. And my wife not have to worry about, well, how are we going to pay this bill this week? Um, I work. I'm a worker. Um, And you would never know what I have by looking at what I drive and and, uh, what I wear and what we do. I just, I work. What are some of the jobs that you've done since you, well, 
maybe starting when you went to Provo for those eight or nine months, what kind of jobs did you have there? And moving forward, what things have you done to make a living? Yeah, I, you know, I have to go back and have to credit my parents for just making me work. I mean, when we started those video stores, that was like right when VCRs came out, right when you were able to rent movies. So we were booming. This is, we were making good money. Your memberships were like 300 bucks just to rent a movie. And so that really just really helped me understand how to work and why to work and how to get more out of nothing. Um, you know, since, since me and my wife have been married, I've, I've worked for a sports authority. Um, I worked for those guys for like four or five years and kind of worked my way up, um, you know, making, I think it was 375 an hour. And I, I wanted to make those, those spiffs and those commissions. And I can remember I, I averaged like 625 an hour. Mm -hmm. So I worked there and worked my way up to, to being a manager. I was a department lead and, and merchandise manager and a store manager. And then I got an opportunity to work at Subway um, restaurants. I think there I had a good, a good trainer. Um, I didn't love him, but I liked him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he helped me be able to balance school, work, and family. Because I was going to school full-time and working full-time. And had a church calling that took a lot of time. And I had three young kids. And so he helped me understand how to balance that. And I spent a few years there. And, uh, and then I graduated from college. And I'm like, I want to climb the cor corporate ladder. That's what I want to do. And I think sales were really big back then. Pharmaceutical sales were big. And so I kind of took this, I think it, I don't even think it was a leap of faith. It was like, I'm doing this regardless of what the Lord says. And I'm moving to Florida because I think there's better job opportunities in a metropolitan city. And, uh, found a job working for UPS and then after 11 months I decided I didn't want to do it anymore maybe it was after two months but I stuck with it for a while mm -hmm. and then we you know my father-in-law luckily sitting in a chiropractic chair somebody was looking for a manager and it worked out to where I could come back and manage a distribution center and and then at that point I had opportunity to, to buy our small business that we just sold so those are just some things that have helped me what was that small business? You know what? I owned a company called All Star Jump, and very small business at the time. I was able to work full-time at the distribution center uh, facility that manufactured a part, car parts. I was able to work full-time there and then at the same time build this business here. So I was working, I don't know, probably about 80 hours a week for a number of years. My wife would answer the phone calls. In fact, one of our, I think, Ariandra, our middle child, her first words were All Star Jump. Oh, well. Because mom was always answering the phone. <laughs> so that was the business that we bought. And then we bought two other small companies to go along with it. And, uh, and we just been able to, we were able to build it. So, um, take a lot of pride. Um, we started out with, in a storage unit, and then we moved it to our garage. And then we just got, there was such a big need for the service that we were providing. It was an entertainment business that providing anything from a, a popcorn machine to carnival games to a mechanical bull and inflatables and photo booths and face painting. I think my wife was very integral. Um, when we bought it, we bought it for about $85,000. Mm -hmm. And my wife was really hesitant about doing it. 
But I knew that I always wanted to own my own business. Everybody talks about owning their own business, but can you really do it? Mm-hmm. But that's what I had known all my life was watching my mom own businesses. And so we bought it knowing that it was making some money and that we could just build it and build it. And I had a goal that in three, three, four years, I would quit working my job and do this full time. I can remember thinking, all we have to do is make this much money and then I can quit my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finally did it. But my wife, I was the workforce, but she, she was one that came up with the ideas. Of, let's mm. add this to our services or let's add this to our product line. Mm. And everything that she touched turned to gold. Mm. Everything. And uh, it was crazy um, because she'd come up with this idea of, well, let's do face painting. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm like, really? Or let's do balloon twisting. And she'd sit there on YouTube and just learn how to do it. Mm. But my wife's very naturally gifted like that. Anything mm. she touches, she's just very she's creative. Yeah. yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, she's naturally good at that. So, you know, everything she touched, everything she suggested, it just helped our business grow. And, got so big we had we we bought we built a shop at our house like a 30 by 40 shop and then we had all these employees coming in our house and then we bought built another shop on our property like a 40 by 25 and then we bought out our biggest competition and then we ran out of space then maybe got maybe got some complaints from our neighbors of (laughs) vehicles coming in and out and then we, Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then we bought five acres of land that had shops on it, and that was a great investment and a great move. And, uh, and we owned the business for 13 years, and uh, it treated our family very good. It definitely was a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. You know, the, the down thing is that you worked every day of the week, and you really didn't have any time off except for winters. And winters right. you had a lot of time off, but you didn't have money coming in. Right. And it was just every Saturday. So for 11 years, I, Saturdays were, were locked up. Yeah. I think it taught our kids how to work harder and it gave them a chance to have a job. And, um, and you know, my son still works there now, and I just sold it here two months ago. Yeah. Wow. So your oldest is not quite 20 years old, correct? Correct. And your youngest is about, is eight, just turned eight. That's right. Do you, and I know this is really early in their lives to really be able to see this, but do you see that entrepreneurial spirit moving forward with them at this point? Um, I think that, um, there's certain one of my kids that can, can do it. And they have, because I, I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be able to just forget everything else and just work, work, work. Mm-hmm. That means if you've got young kids, unfortunately, young kids are going to have to sacrifice a little bit. Um, if you've got babies, unfortunately, your wife's going to have to sacrifice a little bit and take care of the kids mm-hmm. every day, all day. And none of my kids are better than other. I think my oldest, she could be a CEO of a company if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. If she wanted to. But she also could be someone that doesn't, doesn't maximize her potential if she wants it to want to. As could all of us, right? Yeah. Um, I think my son 
my son, he, I think he's going to be a sleeper. I do. Hmm. I don't think he's reached his full potential. He knows how to work, but work long days. I think he could be a sleeper, and then in two years he could shock me. Hmm. Um, my girls, they want to be moms. That's mm-hmm. what they want to do. They're not interested in working in the work field, mm-hmm. workforce. My youngest, yeah, she could probably run. She could probably be an entrepreneur. She's a little spark plug. She's a spark plug. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I think we've already hit on this a few times, but if you were to boil down your philosophy, your personal philosophy, your mantra into one phrase, what do you think that would be? My personal philosophy, huh? I don't know. There's, I think there's, there's a few different aspects of life. I think if it was for income and financial purposes, I think I have to work hard, play hard, and hard work, dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're talking about more of a spiritual side, um, spend as much time with your kids as possible. Take vacations. Um, Forget the little stuff. It doesn't matter about the Kool-Aid. Um, about the Kool-Aid? About the Kool-Aid color doesn't matter. Ah, tell me a little bit about that. What does that mean? I just think sometimes we make big the, big deals out of nothing. Um, and I, I've done that a lot in my life. But I'm getting a little older. I'm 43. I have two kids out of the house here in a month. And uh, gosh, it doesn't matter... If your son doesn't want to wear a certain tie or life's, I guess life's eternal. We're always going to have a chance to, to be better the next day. Hmm. I think our father in heaven knows that, but you know, when you're young, you're, you're reading stories to your kids and you're thinking they're going to walk down that aisle in that white dress and they're going to have a handsome, um, Prince Charming, and that it's going to be the person that you want it to be, or you know, he's going to have everything going for him. But sometimes that's not the way it works out. Um, so you got to be happy with the decisions that your kids are making. And if they make a bad choice, you know what? They have tomorrow. And if they mess up tomorrow, they have the next day. And uh, I think sometimes kids get underneath your skin because they're disrespectful sometimes and they're very selfish. And I think teenage years, they're a very selfish stage. But just don't worry about the Kool-Aid. If it's purple, it's purple. If it's green, it's green. It's going to taste the same at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to... I'm going to think about that for a while and... and, and try and figure out that what that means to me because that's that's really cool i'm um, not saying i always do that but hey no no did you have a moment in your life where a my a, spiritually speaking a mighty change of heart happened that you can pinpoint kind of a moment yep you want to share that yep i can i i think my wife thought that she was marrying i'd say a bad boy Mm-hmm. You know, I went to church, you know, but in actuality, I've kind of turned into a nerd, meaning I really believe in, in reading your scriptures each day and, and saying prayer and, and, and going and visiting people and making sure the sick is taken care of. Um, I really am a true believer in going to church and being on time and being committed to church. 
and not half half doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what happened when I was on a mission for my church, I had to come home because I was diagnosed with with asthma, mm. and uh, I didn't want to come home. I wanted to be on my mission because I had already passed that point of being homesick. Mm-hmm. And so I remember at, sitting at my brother's home. He had a trailer and a big oak tree out front. And no one was home. And I'm like, I want to have that experience. And so I sit, I sat down. I didn't kneel down. I sat down against that oak tree. And I prayed to my Heavenly Father that... I could have a spiritual experience because I think sometimes you just go through the motions. And at that that moment, as somebody would say, the heavens were opened up to me. Right? I had that testimony building experiences. I know the Savior loves me. I know he's here. I know he's listening. And then the very next day, I was able to go back on my mission. Hmm. I got a phone call saying, hey, we got everything worked out. You're coming back. So that was my defining spiritual moment in life. And it was uh, when I was 19 years old. And how did that change your mission? I mean, from pre-asthma diagnosis, post-asthma diagnosis, how did that change your, how you approached your mission? You no, know, I don't think... You know, I was... <laughs> I'm glad they didn't have the same rules that I had, but mm-hmm. I don't think it changed my mission at all. I was always committed. If I was going to do something, I'm going to do it. So if I was committed to to work for you, I was going to work for you. I wasn't going to quit the next day because it was too hard. Or if I was going to go serve, I wasn't going to say, ah, I can't do this too hard. I was going to finish my term. And uh, it didn't change me. It didn't change the way I looked at. It should have. I wish it would have. I wish I would have been more obedient to like rules and Mm. things like that. I wish I would have went to bed on time or woke up on time or been at places that I should have been at, you know, mm-hmm. but again, that's why you have tomorrow. I was talking to somebody um, fairly recently, and his his life motto, kind of like your, you know, don't worry about the color of the Kool-Aid thing, is life is long. And, I've always, and when he said that, I said, that's really interesting. Most people say life is short, but he said life is long, and it was kind of the same thing, you know. Sometimes we make decisions that, uh, or we have children who make decisions, or, or you know, siblings who make decisions that cause a lot of pain right now, and maybe for years to come. But life is long, and those changes can be made, um, and that that meant a lot to me. And I think what you're um, sharing here goes along that line, and it's and it's a concept that I'd never, you know, I've always bought into the life is short which it is mm-hmm. but it's also you know existence is long so 50 years from now 80 years from now mm-hmm. you have great grandkids that pull up this recording of their great grandpa waters what do you want to share with them what do you want them to know about you or know about what your thoughts and beliefs are and share with them well, I don't want to be old. I want to die when I'm at a good age. There's one. <laughs> when I see people walking or in the airport, I'm like, man, I don't want to be that old. Um, mm-hmm. What I want my, my great-grandchildren and grandchildren to know. Huh? Um, whew, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Love the ones that you're supposed to love. Love your family more and show them love. I think sometimes we treat friends and associates better than we treat our family and the ones that we love. And maybe it's because we're comfortable, but be patient. Trust that um, getting angry or upset isn't a fix, but be patient and loving. Start your day by doing something, make your bed, and then throughout the day, you'll do more and more things that will help you get closer um, to your end goal, whatever that is, whether it's sports or whether that's music or whether it's being a good citizen or whether that's serving your Heavenly Father. Um, take the time to be with your family. Create the time because you always find time to do those things that you want to do if you really want to do it. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes there's times in your life where when you're young and you don't have money to fly across the country to go see family, but try to put for that effort. Because I look at my mom and my dad who's 79 and 78, and I think before too long they're not gonna be around. Um, I think all through the scriptures it talks about stay close to the Lord and he'll stay close to you. Um, I believe that. I believe that faith without works is dead I'm a true believer in that. Um, and sometimes, you know, I do things that I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm just told to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I'm a true believer that if you, if you do as your Father in Heaven had asked you to do, He'll watch you, He'll protect you, He'll lead you to where you need to go. Um, that doesn't mean your kids are all going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you're going to have the best job and you're going to love your job. And that doesn't mean your wife and you aren't going to have disagreements. What that means is that if you stay the course, the Lord will stay the course. Mm. So, I don't know, I, could, I think I could talk to myself for days about what I would tell my grandchildren, and mm. my great-grandchildren. I, uh, I fear, my dad said to me, he said, I'm glad I don't have to raise kids in these days, but I fear what my grandchildren and great children, grandchildren will have to face when it comes to adversity and temptations and the evilness of the world. I fear that. Mm. And I don't, I don't really fear much. Because it's hard. It's hard to stay on the straight course and not to be caught off guard of what's ahead of you. And I even watch it with my own kids. And I just think how hard their kids, their kids are gonna have it. And uh, I fear that. Hmm. How do you, in your own life with, you said you don't fear much, and you fear things that are kinda in the future, kind of an anxious, anxiety type thing of what may um, occur. How do you, um, I don't know if combat is the right word, but how do you deal with that so that you can press forward in your own life? I, 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 I'm a busy person. I try and stay busy 
if you look at my phone right now, it's going to say 8 o'clock do this, 8.30 do this, 9 o'clock do this, 9.15 do this. So I try to keep myself busy. And I know busy isn't always good, but I try to keep myself busy with, with good things. Um, I, I do spend a lot of time um, fulfilling responsibilities at church. Um, I try and take what I learned from church and apply it in my daily life. Um, I do try and serve as much as possible. And uh, I think my wife and I were to a point where we don't have to focus so much on material or not material, but financials Mm -hmm. situation that we can focus our efforts on other things. Not everyone has that privilege or opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I know that I've been given some gifts in life think one gift is a gift just to know like I don't need I don't need to have this great manifestation about something I just know Mm -hmm. and uh, I know that there's some things in life that I need to accomplish in fact I fear I fear that my days will be shortened and I've felt that for many years Mm. And uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I've just kind of had a, had a feeling that my days may be shorter than most. Now, I'm going to kind of go with that a little bit here. In the last, what, six or eight months, you've had, well, you've had a lot, the, several health things. But, what, six months ago about, you had a, a, a pretty major thing. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have a, some doctors say it's colitis, other doctors say it's Crohn's. So it's a mix there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had some health issues the last um, seven, eight years. Um, the last three years I've been on a gluten-free diet, and it's been marvelous for my health. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's taken this. It's allowed me to do a lot of things that I weren't able to do. But in uh, October, September, I went in for a routine colonoscopy, and, uh, and I came out and just said, hey, there's some cancerous cells that need to be taken care of and I'm like great and he's like it's not going to be a big deal we're just it's going to be in and out surgery and so the next month I went in and uh, when I woke up I had a ileostomy which is a bag outside your stomach that collects all your quite frankly your crap right and uh, and I was like what happened and he explained to me what happened and and so for eight weeks I lived with that, which some people live with for the rest of their life. So I'm not complaining, mm-hmm. but it was a shock that it happened. And uh, for eight weeks I dealt with it and lost about 30 pounds and there were some complications, but here I am and it all worked out. Mm-hmm. And then that ileostomy was, was removed in December. And, uh, you know, in fact, tomorrow I go in for another colonoscopy and I think right now there's so many moving parts in our life, in my own life, and it's our, my own choices, me and my wife's choices, that I fear that something will go wrong with my health. Mm. It's where my family is in a situation where um, I wouldn't be here, but I, I know my wife is, our finances are taken care of, and I know my wife is beautiful enough mm. inside and out that she could find somebody if something happened to me. Mm. 
So that's kind of my fear right now. It's not for myself at all. And you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't think this way, but when you've had health problems, you start to think that way. Mm. And uh, people always say, well, my, my brothers and my sister, they call me really cheap. Cheapskate, you name mm. it, they call me. Right. And they always say, you can't take it with you, but... But if I do go before my family, at least they'll have it. Hmm. So that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's some pretty heavy stuff, that, that pretty heavy fears that you're carrying there. Uh, what are some uh, books or talks or individuals that you have read, heard, or, or know of who have influenced you um, in a positive manner that have kind of helped mold you a little bit further than where you naturally would be yeah I'm not a big I'm not a big reader I'm from the south people from the south aren't <laughs> smart people think but I, I'm just not a big reader um, but these last three years I've read last two years I've read three books um, and I can't think of one but one is um, by uh, Chick-fil-A it's called Eat More Chicken and it's all about building your business and being influential in your community after you sustain yourself financially or during the process of sustaining yourself financially and just mm -hmm. helping others. Um, it's an awesome book. It's, it's motivational. It helps you want to be a better employee, a better employer. Um, but so that, that was very influential. And the last one that I've read, and again, I don't, it wasn't until just a few years ago I started reading some books. Yeah, you know, I've read some books in church and mm -hmm. things like that about prophets and things like that. But the next one was called When a Child Wanders. Mm. Phenomenal book, especially for whenever you experience as a parent for the first time that your child is wandering in a different path which they should be going, that they shouldn't be going into. Mm -hmm. um, just a beautiful book to help you understand the grace of God, um, His mercy, and kind of His plan. So those, those two books probably. Hmm. Eat More Chicken, which is the opposite of When a Child Wanders. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Do you have any final words of wisdom here before we close up our conversation or any other interesting stories that you've had in your life that you want to share you know I I, uh, I was raised from good parents my dad was a hard worker he always had two jobs he was very submissive and humble um, my mom just very dedicated she always wanted to treat people right she was always giving and there wasn't a week that would go by that we didn't have a stranger in our home that she picked on the side of the street, picked up on the side of the street, or somebody couldn't afford something, so she brought them into our video store, and it just those are great memories. I, I you know, I have, I have great, great siblings. I really do. Um, I remember when my mom and dad went through a divorce. I have an older brother. His name is Jock, and he just. He was selfless. He just took us in as his own children, you know, and it probably caused some marital problems between him and his spouse, but he just took us in. I just remember 
playing every day. And this is when we were teenagers, whether it was um, playing Contra or <laughs> playing Mortal Kombat or Take My Bowl, um, um, whether it was going paintballing or riding four wheelers, um, playing games at night. But he was, he kind of took on that role of father figure, not replace my dad, mm -hmm. but just a different father figure. Um, I have a great sister who's loving in her own way. Um, I appreciate, appreciate her kind of being a matriarch when my mom was going through a divorce. Um, she's the only girl I left six. Um, just, just an awesome sister. And uh, we got a brother who's Kevin and he's, he's made a lot of wrong choices in life. He's the most giving out of anybody that I know, and he doesn't have much. And then I've got my brother Ryan and my brother John David, who are very close to me because they're closer in age, and just I would do anything for them. And I just, I think my kids just need to know that, regardless of how hard I've been on them, that. They are why I do what I do. I don't do anything for myself. My wife tells me all the time, you need more hobbies. But I don't I do things because of them. And I want them to have what I have, which is happiness and joy. I want them to have a great marriage and to be with someone forever. Not to change relationships throughout their life. And... Uh, Lord, I know life will get harder for everyone that comes here. It will be harder tomorrow than what it was today. That's just the way life works. It's not going to get easier. But if you stay true to what you were taught in this home, life will be easier. And I believe that. Hmm. I appreciate you taking the time to, out of your structured schedule to sit down and talk with me for a little while well there you have it i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as i did and that perhaps you were inspired to become a bit of a better person because of it because of it i did link the two books that he mentioned in here in the show notes below if you open up the show notes you'll be able to find links to those if you would like to look into those books now if you have felt a change in your heart and are motivated to do something because of that change of heart, my invitation is to get out there and do something about it now. If you don't act on it now, it is likely that this feeling will pass and you won't remember it, and it will just become empty words ringing distantly in your memory. Once again, if you know anyone or are anyone that would love to share an experience of life in a long-form conversation with me, please send me an email at knowanddopodcast at gmail.com. Also keep an eye and ear out for the Journey Through Life podcast launch in the next month of June 2019. As always, my experience is that wisdom and peace in this life come from knowing Jesus Christ and doing as he teaches. Mm -hmm.